Wilder. How are you doing this week? Hi, Alistair. I'm good. How are you? Okay. I think between Liz and I, I think we clocked in. I clocked in 1,600 miles driving down to Florida. You clocked in how many? I don't know. I texted you. It was like 2,500 from Detroit to LA. Isn't that like 4,000 between the two of us? Sure. I'm bad at math. Okay. <laughs> this is this is why anyway, I talk about movies. I know. And I'm still recovering. I just want to say I hit a deer and <gasps> I hit a deer on my way down and took out like three hours after I started this 1500 mile trip and I took out the right side mirror and then did you kill the deer? Okay. Why is no one worried about my health in this? Cause you're sitting here talking to me. You're fine. Okay. Did you kill okay. the deer? No. Well, unfortunately <laughs> I'm sure the deer didn't make it, but I, I couldn't help the deer off the road because he ran away. So I don't know, but then two okay. days later, no, it gets worse two days later. And I shouldn't spend much time on this, but two days later, I'm still driving, 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 and I get a flat tire on 95, and I get off, and I get on a causeway where there's nowhere to pull over, and it's dead flat. I have to pull over, and I call AAA. They say six hours before they can tell me anything, and it's pouring rain, and it's going to be dark. There's no way I can stand that. I have my dog. I'm talking to somebody I work with, and she's like, call an Uber. The next thing I know, there's a knock, knock, knock on my window, and I roll it down, and this guy says, do you need help? And I said, I, you know, I think I'm going to call an Uber. I can't get out of here. And he said, I'm an Uber driver. And I realized now that anybody could put an Uber sign in their car, right? No, that, I think that has to be sent to you. I mean, I guess you could okay. steal one. Anyway, I mean, I, I can't believe I'm taking this on with this story. And my assistant's texting me and she's like, don't get in the car. Don't get in the car. And I said, I'm getting in the frigging car. <laughs> I got in the car and then I couldn't open the back door. And oh. so then I, you were locked in. I was locked you were in. locked in the car. I was. And I texted her and said, follow me. You know, she tracks me and I, tra- we, we track each, you know, everybody's got tracking. Right. And I said, please track me. If the car goes off 95, I had three hours left in my drive. If the car goes off 95, just call the police right away. And she said, okay. And that was the plan. Anyway, I'm here. And I abandoned the car. I never want to see it again. As long as I live. I, I I don't even know what to say. I know. I know. All right. Well, we've got so much to talk about. And also, I'm going to introduce someone who at the end, I'm so grateful that you're here, Alex Holt, who hasn't said a word yet because I've been gabbing away, but we're so happy to have you. Well, what, I, how do I how do I start? You can't, to follow you that can't beat it. You absolutely can't. <laughs> Other I than thank just, God you're here. Thank God know, you're okay. Right? And people don't get in the car with strangers. Don't follow Hollister's example. I know. Please. I, know I know. Please don't. Anyway. Or the positive is that strangers do do the right thing and we do help each other. Yeah. All right, well, Alex. I, make I me seem like the... This- I took a the picture of his here. license. <laughs> I, took a, I took a picture of his license, and I tried to like Hannibal Lecterize him the whole way down. Like, and 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 he did exactly what he said he was going to do. He did. And, Plus and he, so there are good citizens. I, who knew? Right? I hope you gave him a five star review, Chris. Um, <laughs> well, actually, we did it off the record, which was part of the problem because Uber tracks their. And we're not. We're done. Anyway. With this. Okay. All right. We're but. And also, this is probably the happiest part of our story today. We're going to do Roadrunner, everyone. We talked about it a couple of times already, but I'm just going to give an intro a little longer than normal. But in June of 2018, Anthony Bourdain committed suicide. Now we're three years later, Roadrunner by the Oscar-winning filmmaker Morgan Neville. You must know him, Walder, right? I mean, do you know of his work? I mean, I don't know him personally, but yes, I do know of his work. 
Yeah, I can't wait to hear what you think. But he presents Bourdain as both a great man and compelling celebrity, which of course he was, as well as a bit of a demon on a quest to find happiness. But when I was thinking about it, I'm thinking really what I think is he was trying to find peace and acceptance. But moving along, usually when you do a documentary after someone's passed away, it's hard because you can't get them on film. But because Bourdain was so prolific, Oh, in terms of showing himself in front of the camera, it felt to me like they were shooting it long before he was gone. But in truth, that it was all done after he was gone. But what they do have is footage from those who knew him. And that makes this documentary. But take, for example, Eric Repair, the renowned chef who owns La Bernadette in New York City, who is the one who found him the morning after they'd been together. And he was asked on camera about that morning. His face instantly becomes distraught. And then he says, you know, I will never speak about that. And you know that he can't even think about it, let alone speak about it. So which, of course, leads to the fact that suicide happens to more than one person who commits it. And and drug addiction, which might have been the silent killer here, we really don't know. Well, that's addressed as well. So we dedicate this hour of Screen Thoughts to a documentary review. And also, we've asked to include Alex Holt. And we thank Alex Holt's company, Limitless Ventures, for sponsoring this podcast, Limitless Ventures, it's so interesting, invests in private and philanthropic capital sources to support the continuum of care for mental health. So translation, you ask? (laughs) They invest in companies that are providing solutions to fight drug addiction. And we have Alex here with us today, who just said hello, to spend certainly the last part of the podcast talking about drug addiction and what he thought while watching Roadrunner. Alex, we're again, so glad to have you here, but it took me a month to get you to watch this film. Are you Before we get into any of it, are you now glad you did? I'm so glad. All I needed to do was follow your good orderly direction. <laughs> Wilder, where do you take it from here? What do you, what do you have to... I think the film's really interesting. I know it got some criticism because they vocalized some emails that Bourdain had sent. So they they used technology to to recreate his voice, his voice. to read, to read these you, emails. Did you know which ones they were? I couldn't. I had no out. idea. I wasn't sure what was him on camera and what was him having written something that was now being read out loud. But I thought it was really interesting that. This is not in any way, and not that there is a quote-unquote typical addiction story. I don't think that there is, but this defies any trope that you might think of when you're thinking of someone who's telling a story who's overcome addiction. The addiction within this story felt so minimal and yet also so overcasting of the rest of the story because this was a man who was addicted to his work. It's so funny you use the word overcasting because one of the things Neville said, he said, is, and this is a quote, when I'm making a film, I often feel like the instructions are in the box. How should I tell a story is often expressed by the subject. Mr. Rogers should be simple and deep and loving storytelling and Orson Welles should be chaotic mm-hmm. and smart storytelling. And this film, Tony, is all about gray and you mm-hmm. used the word overcast, which is not exactly the top of your vocabulary list in our history. So when you were watching it, Alex, did it seem like a gray overcast film to you? Well, I would say, uh, what, who's that Flintstone character with the cloud that follows him? It's it not Flintstone. You're talking about Eeyore and that's Piglet. <laughs> no, that well, it's Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. 
Well, it's it's definitely Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, but there's this Flintstone character, I think, yeah, that has clouds and kind of follows him, and it kind of rains down, and and he can't quite escape it. And he's got these moments, huh? these moments of sublime happiness, which is kind of like what we saw through Anthony's life, through Anthony's mm-hmm. eyes, followed by his attempts to hide extreme pain, not only mm-hmm. his own, but of that, that which he absorbed and empathized with the places which he could do and nothing to help. He was powerless to help those in Haiti. Mm-hmm. And he would talk a little bit about it in, in some of those clips, like uh, when they were in, it was in Uzbekistan. It was uh, where were they trapped in uh, during in the Congo? War. It, it was it was it in the Congo when when um, the bombs were dropped in Beirut. Oh yeah, Beirut. when they were in when they were in Beirut, yeah. And and they're sitting at this pool. <laughs> yeah. Right. And and he's like, "Why are we here? Don't show this film. Like, this is <laughs> this is this should not get on the air." Which, right? by the way, is big begs the question of we all. You remember when you were young and it was like, "Eat your peace," because there are people in Africa that don't have peace. And I would sometimes say, why do we always have to be a comparison study and we have it better than everyone else so I can have no pain in my life? He was riddled with guilt about his success and good fortune and whether he deserved it or not. And in fact, one of the things Neville says about him, um, oh, he had an imposter syndrome, which is really what you're talking about there, right? Yeah, it's it, and, 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 and he, he came from that. He knows what it felt like to be that guy like he comes back from the the first journey and says um my what do i do my rent is paid <laughs> yeah <laughs> right <laughs> what else I is there to do <laughs> but i hope it's okay if we introduce you here or maybe you want to introduce your own um experience around drug use and why you started the company you did i mean you they do major investments in amazing companies that are doing Great work, but why don't you just give us a, a quick 411 on that? Well, uh, thanks, and uh, really appreciate the opportunity to be here with you, Christine, and it's good to meet you, Elizabeth. I, uh, I have been gifted the opportunity to take my life work, which has been really a person on the journey of recovery, and apply that with the intersection of capital and try and fund as many companies as we can uh, as we say, our mantra is to help people heal people. The people we're helping are entrepreneurs who are taking the real risk to create solutions for those who are in, are in mental health challenges, whether that be depression, whether that's uh, substance use disorder and overeating, undereating, Narcotics Anonymous, fill in the blank, right? They're actually 86 12-step help programs. And um, and this movie is characteristic, not just of those people who have substance use disorder, but also of everybody who has any sort of pain. And as I was watching the film, I didn't just see a lot of myself in Anthony. I saw a lot of the world in Anthony. How often do I run away from the thing that is causing me pain? I don't need to be an addict to have that problem. Everyone has that challenge. It's hard to sit still and deal. Well, it's much easier to take another road, you know. Oh, you turn. Let me get off this highway. <laughs> Let me scroll down I, on my Facebook feed. <laughs> can I ask, Alex? I found Anthony's story to be so fascinating because I didn't identify him as someone who was in recovery. 
I guess I'm curious your thoughts on that because he he seems to be in in terms of people within the in the scope of the film the only person they've ever known who quit heroin cold turkey, right, and never went back to it. And the process of recovery is a process. Mm-hmm. And I I guess I'm wondering your thoughts on Anthony's journey and his his friends talk about how he just took his addiction and shifted it from one thing to another. Right. Is that common? Is that something that was maybe part of his journey all the way through? Had he gone through one of these programs? I, I mean, you see him at an, at an AA meeting, but had he done something different? Do you think we'd have a different story here? Sure. Well, we don't actually know if it's an AA meeting. We, we sure. suspect it, it was, was a, it's a support meeting, meeting of some yeah, sort. Some kind. Certainly a circle where they, where they talked about themselves, which is yes. apropos <laughs> of AA. <laughs> um, but his, uh, the, the answer is like, you know, yes, no, and maybe, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> As I try to kind of like put myself in his shoes or mentalize his, his position, I imagine as I kind of map out my own recovery journey, that I was a road runner too. You know, I, I would run away from this feeling of uncomfortableness. Wait, 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 wait. I have to interrupt. Is that what the title meant? <laughs> Is that what I it meant? So. Thanks for it, joining that's us. my interpretation. Hollister. We're loving having this conversation with you. (laughs) I I was going to ask so later on. I get it. So road running. Okay, keep going. Now I get it. Now I get it. Okay. I don't know. So so I have this fight or flight experience, right? And it's easier to just fill the void with with whatever I can, whether it's Mm -hmm. smoking a joint, the excitement of the next adventure, living on the edge, the extreme of not the middle. And Mm -hmm. and boringness is a feeling it's hard to deal with. It's it's hard for my fiance to deal with, who's not in the room, but like (laughs) always on my left. (laughs) And um, we have embodied that socially, culturally, you know, capitalism exists up and to the right. It doesn't exist in mediocrity. <laughs> we sensationalize everything. Mm-hmm. So did, when, you, did you guys find him likable? Did you like him? And where does narcissism enter into this? There's this piece of me and I, it's not fair for me to say it, but I think when you are so insularly hung in there, I mean, he, the way he treated others when it behooved him, when he wanted something or, you know, the way he could throw away friendships. I get that when you're in an addiction situation like that, there are circumstances you can't control. But at the same time, I, first of all, didn't realize he was on drugs through the whole thing. Did you? Well, well he wasn't, was he? Yeah, I think he was. Well, define drugs, right? You gotta, you gotta like okay. re- restart your vocabulary here. For well, Christine I did, I did Mercer, find it- interesting that he was drinking throughout the yes, entire that, the, that's throughout the entire point that's an important point uh w- when they were in uh, tokyo for the last mm-hmm. time he's like our uh what did what did he say his line was like um uh put uh, light, light them up and uh uh hit hit the joints or, or something like that like uh, yeah smoke them if you got them <laughs> yeah but, you know but i i have um my cousin became a drug addict, a heroin addict at nine, and he's now 65, and he's still an addict. And he said, told me he's the only one of the group that started with him that's still alive. 
He's totally dysfunctional. You can't trust him. He once fixed something at my house. I said, Gary, let me pay you. And he said, you already have. And I said, what do you mean? You know, I didn't, you just tell me, you know, I'd like to give you some money for it. You just redid my cabinets. And he said, oh, you paid me. I stole from you for years. (laughs) You know, so I'm just saying sometimes you don't even realize where somebody is. And I thought he was in recovery. It turned out he wasn't. But my point is- What do you mean by that? Because I I didn't pick that up out of the film. I felt like if I had not learned toward the end that he was not in recovery, I thought he was. What was he he using? Well, was he using know. heroin everything. still? Everything. He was still. He yeah. was still. He yeah. was still yeah. using a, a broad. It, 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 it's not. It's not one thing. It's everything. It's the relation to life, and this is the delineation that's hard for culturally mm-hmm. anyone who's not an addict to, uh, in recovery to understand. Fundamentally, when you or or when someone who's not an alcoholic takes a drink or a drug or whatever. Mm-hmm. Maybe if one, one and a half, sure. stop, <laughs> you stop pretty much when you start feeling out of control, something's wrong or whatever it is. It's like kind of like the way I drink Coca-Cola, mm-hmm. I'm not having 30. <laughs> I'm not traveling 200 days mm-hmm. out of the 365 days a year, right? That's an mm-hmm. extreme mentality. When addicts and alcoholics become in their brains, an alcoholic or an alcoholic is an addict. It's like a pickle, right? You're never going to become a cucumber again. And we're naturally unwell. Mm-hmm. We're seeking the wellness. Sure. So we're coming at it from the other extreme. And, and, and if you're kind of following the bouncing ball here, what he was doing was, as Cho said in the movie, is he it was replacing his addiction with work. Right. No, that, that I picked up with the girl, with Mm -hmm. the higher power, wasn't a higher power. No, he was very clearly addicted to whatever it was he was intimately involved with at the time. I think the jujitsu, was it jujitsu? Was was very emblematic of that. Um, I guess I'm, I'm wondering if he was, I I, I didn't pick up that he was actively engaged in substance abuse at the time of his death. Oh, I did toward the end. I think that's exactly what his friends were saying and no one called him on it. Well, first of all, I looked it up. He was a crack cocaine addict and then he moved to heroin. But I just wanted to talk again, we, you know, to try to a stick with the film and then get into some of these other things we can sort of say with some sort of semblance. Okay. Neville's also been criticized. We should deal with this and then we can go back to the addiction issue. But I think it's so part of it that the woman who some people believe took him down was the Mm -hmm. catalyst, was the thing that pushed him off the cliff, right? Did you spend any time looking at her, Wilder? I mean, I I know who she is. She's she's an actress and she's a working actress. She's been Um, around for a minute. Yeah, so... Her name is Aja Argento, yes. And she dumped him, but he like he was socially conscious guy, but when she came out against Harvey Weinstein, he went mm-hmm. off the cliff again. Again, everything everything was magnified by a hundred, whatever mm-hmm. he did. And so some people felt that she was the catalyst. And so then I was wondering, gosh, it seemed like he was walking you know, on the top of the fence, on the edge, could have fallen either way and sort of trying to maintain some semblance of sanity. 
Mm-hmm. And then there's anything that can come your way that can just push you over the edge. And many of the people around him felt she did. But then I looked at them and I thought one of the reasons to see the film is to look at responsibility. Some of his friends mm-hmm. felt totally guilt-ridden, as do many people after a suicide, because they didn't stand up and do enough or they didn't take control. or And nobody called him out. I mean, the guy was a five-year-old in a China store with the mother going, oh, you want me to take your picture there? Okay. You know? Well, I, I think this is where, this is what's interesting about the He's film. It's not likable. I don't know if that's true. I think he has quite the magnetic personality. And I think he, he pulled in millions of people into his audience who loved him uh, and explored a whole world that, that wasn't available to them. And well, I, I was going to say, because he, he let them to, into the inside as if they were his friend and they were doing it with him. Yeah, that was well, and his show, I wasn't a fan of his show. I, I had seen a couple of episodes, but I wasn't urgent follower of Anthony Bourdain, but he had crazy fault. People loved him. And I think that's more about what his show exposed and explored than it was about the food, right? It's about the people, yeah, it's about the culture. <laughs> but I, I think that's also part of an addictive personality and the the illness that is addiction. And and it's one of the flaws I find within the film because the film doesn't really speak about addiction very much. No, it talks. It's, it's, I don't think so. I, for, for, I think it actually speaks a lot about addiction. This is great. Tell me more. Because addiction is elusive. Mm-hmm. Right, it's the only disease that tells you it's not a disease. It's really the only disease that's diagnosed by our friends and our family, and kind of like ourselves when we finally admit it. And in fact, by everybody else except for us. <laughs> in fact, sure. the police, the doctor, the police, <laughs> whomever is not me. But is, can, you know, couldn't you say that for just about any mental illness? Um, yeah, depression. Yeah, you know, it's it's the feedback loop of like, how do I, in the mirror, right, know who I am? Mm-hmm. It's not like cancer, right? Cancer is like, hey, I'm the doctor and here's the report and you clearly have cancerous cells, right? <laughs> sure. I mean, addiction's not going to come up in a blood test. But, right, right. But well, you can't prove it. It's also hard to prove. You know, somebody can say, I know it looks like that, but that's not what I'm doing, you know? Well, um, and it's... It, it, formulates differently in every person, right? Every, every person's journey is, is individual. And I, as a quote unquote normie who is (laughs) related to many who struggle with this, I can understand it only so much as I can understand it, right? That's Mm -hmm. not how my brain works. And I'm very lucky that that's the case. So when I look at this film and they're not out and out speaking about his addiction and his journey with substance abuse that he's drinking on the show that what he what steps he took and continued to follow to make sure that he stayed clean if that was even important to him to me as as a normie that seems to me that they're kind of evading the question of how he handled his addiction and i wonder if that was purposeful or not mm-hmm. right in how they approached this because they didn't know right it seems that his friends were aware, but not everyone was aware. Like, obviously, I walked away from this film not realizing that he was <laughs> abusing still. So I, I guess I'm curious your your thoughts on that, Alex. Well, I think it's it's important for us to, to de-identify from defining using for an addict as the colloquial, hey, I'm putting heroin in my body. Right. Right. Because the 
heroin was not the substance of choice. Mm-hmm. It was the work itself for right. many years. And, and I think what the, the journey for the other, call it four people, right? The addiction and, and mental health challenges affect one in five Americans. Mm-hmm. And so really the, the other four <laughs> are the, all of the other people around him. Mm-hmm. Or me or us, wherever we are. It's it's the other two lovely women in this room. And you are my mirror. And it's very difficult for you to reflect back to me some of my own painful behavior, not just because you have your own pain based off the way I behave against you and hurt you in some way or shape or form. But then also, how do you more most clearly say, hey, Alex, this is like totally not okay. You cannot behave like this. Like you cannot. You're, you're, wait, I've got to interrupt here and say you're also forgetting that a lot of the people we saw were on his payroll. Totally, and totally. The minute, and the minute they did call him out, they were gone. So exactly. So, and which is also true. I remember my my sister died actually of, of addiction, and there was a big intervention where seven so people went to the house and. When she they came in and they were all there saying, you're an alcoholic. And meanwhile, there were a million bottles. I mean, it was a mess. Her house was a mess. Her daughter had left and went to move with her ex-husband. And she said, you're so sweet to come. I really appreciate you being here. And I'd love to offer you a beverage, but I'm fine. Would you like a beverage? <laughs> she actually said, would you like a beverage? As if this was a normal... And they called her out and they said, we're gone if you don't do this. And she didn't ever recover. But the point is, so many people we saw were on the frigging payroll. There's no way they could come up against him without sacrificing the money that was mm-hmm. taking care of their families. So really, they weren't connected to him anyway. But secondly, I went and looked at Kitchen Confidential, which the film starts with. Mm-hmm. Did you read it? I hadn't read it. Did you? No, I, I okay. do want to read it, though. It sounds like a hell of a ride. Okay, but here's the thing. It's a it's a cruel book. It's unkind. It it calls out by name people, and they, not only did they all forgive him, they jumped on his bandwagon. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I didn't read the whole thing, but I went through it, and what I realized is he had a reason not to like himself. They were dead bodies from the very be- long before he became the Anthony Bourdain everybody knew across the globe. So, and that's part of what you were saying earlier, Alex, about when you can't take the pain, you know, the pain of what you do to others is also, in my mind, that's the worst pain of all. If I hurt someone's feelings or if I lose my temper, God knows we wouldn't, uh, rare, rare, right? Rare. <laughs> Right, right. I'm kidding, actually. But point well, being, I am. That's the one I have the most self-loathing I can have. And this guy could be loaded with it because he treated people like shit. Well, he also had the fatal combination, unfortunately, of not only addiction but being involved in Hollywood. Right, those crazy egos. That behavior is excused all the time. Right, that expose that just came out in Scott and Rudin. I was really appreciative to see, but it took us a very long time to jump from sexual harassment to harassment, right? And harassment is tolerated within Hollywood. And those egos are certainly stroked because the talent on screen is all that matters. And he's the talent on screen. But I I do want to back up and talk a little bit about Asia because they do kind of put the microscope over her and say, was it her fault? And I think that's completely unfair. Well, she re- and she refused to be interviewed. But, yeah. but just to finish up on that past topic, one of the things, again, that Neville said, great interview, by the way, 
from, um, I think it was Vanity Fair, maybe no, The New Yorker, great interview Mm -hmm. from The New Yorker. He said, people told me that Tony made best friends one week at a time. He travels, he -hmm. meets them somewhere, and they think they have a new best friend, and then he would never see them or talk to them again Mm -hmm. because he was on to the next place. That sense of momentum, it's both part, part of what made him great, and it's also part of what must have been terrible to live with because mm-hmm. again, these are dead body. You know, people th- thought they had a friend and they didn't. Well, but- and if you're actively in a relationship with an addict who is using, right. God knows what happened behind closed doors between the two of them. Yeah. And yeah. I don't think it's fair to put that microscope over her. They don't get to talk about their relationship in public. Right. Well, we not just only, not only that, he said he left her out because she wouldn't talk to him and but he didn't leave her out and the insinuation when he uh, when he uses come on he taped those people for hours and over and over again he uses the their comments about her and then meanwhile publicly Neville's saying you know no I, I left her I didn't make her a major part of it in my mind she was a huge part of it she's a huge part of the movie yeah um, I, I also think it's very telling that Tony filmed his like two therapy appointments. I was so confused when that <laughs> film was shown because, first of all, no good therapist would ever allow would that. agree to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. But I, I think it's very telling that he's he talks about how he's never done therapy before with this therapist on camera. And that's that's for us. That's not for him. Like yeah, that's yeah, yeah, that's movie I mean, star status. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's about you were talking about is he a narcissist? And I, I think, uh, I think that's uh, yeah, no, probably I didn't some say proof is positive. he a narcissist? I said he is, he is a, a narcissist. narcissist, yeah. So, yeah. addiction, you know, like when you go through the 12 step process, right? Uh, which is really based on this Oxford method back in the early 1900s, which came before that from the Washingtonian group, was really about inventory of our behavior. Hmm. Where was I selfish, self-centered, mm-hmm. inconsiderate, fearful? How did my behavior affect others? Mm-hmm. Most of our culture is not interested in rewarding altruism. Like, let's face it. <laughs> Capitalism rewards that those who stick out for themselves, other than like maybe Deepak Chopra and Oprah. <laughs> Great combo, by the way. <laughs> like, uh, there's only one Gandhi. And, sure. And so when you couple that with that cultural kind of incentive with a personality which is seeking that behavior for validation of their identity, mm-hmm. it becomes a powerful combo for like fuel. It's like, you know, the car's gas. Mm-hmm. And so he's sitting there and he's really trying to manage what we think of him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's really important to him. <laughs> Which, by the way, it's so funny because it goes back to that Oprah. Oprah, who interviewed, what was it, 33,000 people who wilder? her? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. At the end of every interview from Obama to Beyonce, at, when the camera stops rolling, she said every one of them turned to her and said, how did I do? Was I okay? <laughs> Because we do as human, and she said she realized the human condition is we really want people to like us. Mm -hmm. And clearly Anthony Bourdain did, but he knew he wasn't likable. So if someone did like I don't know if that's true. I I think I think it's personally, I think it's very tough to judge the dead who are not here to speak for themselves. I'll, I'll give you that. Absolutely. But I think this is a man who was struggling deeply with his own demons. And 
whether or not he was likable, I think he didn't like himself. And that's deeply rooted within addiction. That's deeply rooted. Well, I don't know if that's deeply rooted within narcissism, um, but it's certainly deeply rooted within many mental health issues. And addiction is one of those. And I think you can see that on screen. This is a man who's desperate to do something good. And he's desperate to reach out to those and connect with those around him, but he doesn't know how to sustain that. And I think it's hard to watch. It's hard to watch him unravel throughout the entirety of this film. It's hard to watch the effect he had on his friends. It's hard to watch what he's left behind him. And suicide affects so many people, right? And and so many people blame themselves or if I had only and we talked about nine perfect strangers a while ago. And while I did not love that series, one of the things I think they handled really well was that the son commits suicide and the family is, is trying to come to terms with it. And both all three of them are blaming themselves, the sister, the mother and the father. And they have a, an LSD induced hallucination where they talk to their son. And he says, it was a mistake. I made a momentary mistake that ended up being permanent. And that brought me a lot of solace in the situations in which I've been faced with friends or family who have made that choice and understanding that not everyone necessarily feels that they want that to be forever. And some people do, some people need to escape, but I think it brought a lot of solace to me personally. And I, I hope, you know, this was a man who was certainly in a lot of pain and hopefully he's no longer in pain. But hopefully. thinking about those outside of your periphery, I think, is is the one thing that we have to ask people to do when you can't see past your own nose, right? Think about what this is going to do to those who love you. Well, that's because everyone really, has someone who, who loves them. That, that's a really good point. Because so then how do you like uh, that's one of the questions I kind of was asking mm-hmm. myself five years ago. We had, it was an engineer at the time and, and some after a vision quest, which is a Native American kind of path to spirituality, mm-hmm. where I was asking my, myself a bunch of life purpose questions. What do I do? Why am I doing this work? Mm-hmm. You know, the little stuff. You know, the little stuff, existential <laughs> stuff. <laughs> In the middle of a desert. Yeah. <laughs> after a sweat lodge. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, sitting in clay. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> right. This is after no food, no water, you know, yeah, normal yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah, sit, sitting in the clay pot. Sounds fun. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds yeah. fun. Yeah. You guys want to go this weekend? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you tell me about it. You tell yeah. me all about it. <laughs> I'll just give you the blow by blow. That'll make yeah. So um, I got, uh, when I kind of got back, I was asked by an investor to explore a non-narcotic, non-invasive medical device to help people detox off opioids. Mm-hmm. This is the first of its kind, very novel solution, 2017, height of the opioid epidemic then, now it's worse, so it's a higher high. It's just a bigger problem uh, that we haven't solved yet. When the squeaky wheel gets squeaky enough, we'll eventually solve it as a culture and I hope uh, sooner than that, but we realized, oh my God, our investor network is not designed to think of how we're helping people. It's not designed to really support a shrinking market. It's not designed as self-eliminating medicine, as we, we have said, uh, Limitless has said in the past, 
it's not designed to create omni positive solutions, one that helps me and you as the other person kind of in my sphere of influence. If, if I, if we were family members and I guess we're family through Christine, kind of on the spot, I guess. Right. <laughs> and we are really not using that as our modus operandi. So, so what if we designed an investment firm which sought outsized returns as most as, as it's our fiduciary duty, but also we're focused on trying to create what we call a return on mission, trying to encourage the companies to do well only by doing good. Okay. Wouldn't How do that you do that? Be a principally different in a way of thinking about our, how we operate our lives. And, and the answer is, I think there are different strokes for different folks, people and the education system, like kids being able to have social emotional learning, to have a gamified experience, to talk about their feelings around these challenging issues that are approachable to them in ways that are not just 12 steps circles, which are great and works a lot for me. They're also after we're in trouble. Like this is an early, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. How do we create preventative solutions for people who have the coping skills? I mean, don't get me wrong, when I was in high school and I loved high school, that I, I, uh, Chris, lucky Aaron, you. Um, <laughs> let me rephrase. I loved parts of high school. There you go. <laughs> there, are, there are other parts of high school where the football was thrown at my helmet, and that was yeah. not fun. <laughs> also, changing schools and the divorcing parents and all the other mm. problems and getting, you know, everyone. I've got what are you, a millennial? <laughs> Hang on a second. Sorry, keep going. I get a lot of crap from Chris about being a millennial. <laughs> well, and rightfully so, I might add. But I, think uh, what, but I think what you're saying to sort of wrap that part up is that the problem is not, unfortunately, we don't make sure that problem doesn't happen. Like you go and you get a driver's license so and you take driver's ed so you don't have an accident and kill somebody. Yeah. And there's and what you're saying is, and some of this work that you guys are doing, which is so great. And by the way, it's limitlessventures.us and you can see some of the work they're doing. It's amazing. Go take a look at the website because it's true. If you see this problem, oh, if everyone's going to drive, then people are going to die. Okay, let, how are we going to make sure that doesn't happen or we minimize it? What we do is we prepare them to drive well. So one of the things that is certainly happening in schools all, all across the country is they're teaching meditation to kids in kindergarten, you know. So forget the timeout, which drives you to the corner to buy some drugs on your way home. You know, yeah, that, that was a brainstorming session on how do I become more radical? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, I, you know, and again, we how don't do I get wanna, what I want without being caught. <laughs> we don't want we don't want to lose sight of poor Anthony Bourdain here. But I think even this conversation that comes from it, the reason to see this film, the reason to see this film with your family is so you can have these kinds of conversations around what does this film mean? So I will vote for sure to recommend this to seen by many people. What about you? Plus two. I certainly think it's worth viewing. I think it's something if you're going to watch this with younger audience members, there's a conversation that needs to be had ahead of time in understanding parts of his journey and what we're talking about in a larger scale, because I don't think it's necessarily highlighted throughout the film of what his struggles are. And I think that's really important for young people to understand that, and not just young people, this is really our culture as a whole, but that mental health is something that needs to be spoken about 
that struggles need to be vocalized and that when you need help, you need to ask for it. And that's one of the things that I think this film touches on, but doesn't necessarily spell out in those big, bold letters that we absolutely need to highlight to our culture. What about you, Alex? Do you think it's a film worth seeing? I I absolutely think it's a film worth seeing. And, And I might add that if you see someone that needs help, don't just walk by. Reach out your hand and help that person as someone just did for you, Christine. Because there are good people in the world. There are good people doing good Wait, things. He tied it, he tied it back oh, to your Uber know. driver. Oh, he brought us all the way is, back to the, to the start. I was going to say, wait, uh, what, what? Who helped me? Oh, okay. Yes. His name's Mike, by the way. I big thank you to Mike. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it, we can't thank you enough, Alex, for being there today. And we rarely deviate from totally just talking the film itself. And in a way, what a great honor to Anthony Bourdain that we could actually talk about the issues from the film as much as we did the film. So thanks for being with us today. Causes and conditions. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. We'll see you next week, right? Indeed. Wilder and I are not driving anywhere. (laughs) No, we're finally, we're we're in place. Yeah, we're in place. All right. We'll do some fun things coming up. Yeah, thanks for listening. And our listening numbers are going up. So thanks again, everybody. And please tell your friends and email us anything you want us to watch. And we have two things we're doing next week. Yeah, we're going to do Squid Game and we're going to do Only Murders in the Building and then follow that up with Dune. Oh, exactly. Dune, which I have to go see in a friggin' theater. I'm going. Yes, you do. I'm going. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Join us again. Will you, Alex, another time? I would be honored. Thank you for having me, ladies. Okay. See you all soon.